Today I'm excited about God's message this morning because it's one that is near and dear to my heart um, because we're going to be talking about commitment this morning. And uh, when I think about commitment and I think about uh, our dedication to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I was reminded of the different ways we commit to each other uh, in marriage and uh, commitment in the things that we do here at the church and the commitment to our jobs and our families. And, and I was reminded of uh, a youth trip that uh, we took at this church maybe... Um, 14, 15 years ago, and uh, the adults that were the chaperones there that uh, came on the trip with us, we kind of assigned them a group of children to watch after and make sure that while we're down at the youth trip, which was down in Florida, uh, that they would keep a special eye on them, make sure that they were safe and so forth. Now, this was my first time involved with the youth, and so being a police officer, the youth uh, pretty much thought that if you're a police officer, that means you know everything. So that's a lot of power because I could say anything and they would believe it. And uh, we would walk around at night on, on different walks around the uh, camp and everybody was concerned about alligators in this pond. It was a retention pond and there was no alligators there. It was, it was fenced off. But because I let them believe that the reflections in the water were alligators, everybody was certain there were alligators in that pond and uh, they stayed clear of that area, which was great because we didn't want them going over there. Well, one night, um, some of the youth and I, we took some shoestrings and we tied them together. And we cut a plank of wood and we put the plank of wood out in the water. This time, we brought the adults with us. Now, all the adults also believed that there were alligators in this pond as well. And I told the youth that were helping me out on this practical joke, I said, when the adults get close to the water, I'm going to say, don't get too close to the pond. And that's when I want you to pull this plank of wood out of the water and see what happens. So... Now, I wouldn't do that today, um, lesson learned, but uh, I will tell you that uh, we did that. And all the adults were there, and, uh, and they were standing on the edge of the water, and the kids were right here. And the adults that were, what were there to protect the children, right? You heard me say that, right? Protect the children. Um, the, 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 the log came out there, and it swished like this. It looked just like an alligator. And it came out, and our adults were knocking kids down, pushing them in the water to get away from the alligators. So... So there was, a, there was a level of commitment there, but it wasn't in its entirety. It wasn't a, a sacrificial commitment. We had a lot, a lot of jokes. Those trips are great if you get an opportunity to go. Now Scott is immersed in those, and so, which is a great time. But, but as I think about that, as I think about commitment, I, I want to think about what it means when we are committed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this. He said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, your evildoers. So this means, for him to say that, this means that there are those who are going to claim to be Christians, but sadly, they're mistaken. And I wondered, are they mistaken because they don't understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ is, or are they trying to be deceitful? I don't know. But I do believe that one of the greatest marks of a Christian is evident in their sincere commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe often ways we can see that is in their unwillingness to compromise their faith, even when things get challenging, even when struggles and trials might tempt you or push you to compromise your faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about a man that was strong in his principles and strong in his faith with Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bibles today, this morning, would you begin turning with me to the book of Acts chapter 7... We're going to talk about Stephen and an encounter he had with the Jewish leaders of the day. Acts chapter 7 will be in verses uh, 51 through 60 this morning. And while you're turning there, let me give you some background on Stephen and, and, and who he was and kind of what, what got him to this point. 
Now, Stephen was chosen by the apostles to be one of the seven to look after the daily distribution to the poor in the early church. The Bible describes him as a man who did great wonders and signs amongst the people. He taught in the synagogues. He debated the Jewish leaders and authorities. And, and what had happened, because he was, he was leading the way in sharing this gospel and teaching and helping and so forth, that many of the Jewish leaders of the day did not want him to do this. And so they hired men to falsely accuse Stephen of speaking blasphemy towards God because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so where we're going to be in our text today, he's standing before these Jewish, theater, uh, Jewish authorities who have accused them with these falsities and accused him of blasphemy, which is an offense punishable by death. And here's what happens. The high priest accuses him of these accusations, and he asks them if they're true. And so what Stephen does is he responds this way. First, before he even answers the question, he gives them a history lesson. He talks about uh, Abraham and Abraham's call to obedience and how his people would be in bondage. And in the beginning of the, the covenant of the circumcision, he begins talking about that with these Jewish leaders. He then speaks about Joseph and, and how God used him during the famine in Egypt and how his people came to live in Egypt. Uh, he speaks of the Israelites, how they grew in numbers and faith towards God and, and then how the new king treated them harshly and put the people in bondage. He even talked about how Moses took them out of bondage and delivered the people and how the people turned away from God. Stephen gives him this history list and he points out how Abraham, Joseph and Moses, time and time again, God would deliver his people Yet time and time again, his people would turn against God. So he, he's, he's speaking to him about this history of, of turning against God as he's, he's talking to these men. And then he brings it home. He stands there in front of them after he's given this history lesson, after he's been accused of blasphemy, knowing the punishment is death, knowing that that's likely the intention of this Jewish panel. And this is what he says. So if you've got your Bible with me in uh, verse 7... I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. It says this. And if you would stand out of reverence and respect to the reading of the Lord's Word this morning. Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. It says, You stiff neck and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. And Father, I thank you for this precious church family. I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning and the privilege you give us to come together and worship you. Lord, right now, Father, I pray you would take me out of the equation, that you would speak through me this morning, Father, and that the words we hear today are pressed upon our hearts and our minds and our souls, Lord, and we use them as our battle cries. We head out to the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So Stephen is at the point 
where he could face the death penalty. And what does he say? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. Now, he's not trying to win any friends here, is he? He tells them exactly what, what he feels, exactly how he's feeling. Now, if you imagine this setting up until this point, it has just been a history lesson. You can imagine the Jewish leaders just listening to what he was saying, either becoming ashamed or, or getting angry about what he was saying. But at this point, Stephen could have walked away. He could have stopped what he was saying. He could have just been silent or even denied Jesus Christ, and the punishment likely would not have been as severe. He was at a threshold to make a decision. And the question is, is would, would he be bold and speak the truth of Jesus Christ? Would he be courageous, or would he stop and take the safe road? I wonder how many of us would have stopped at this point. How many of us would have said, to save ourselves from harm, I'm going to deny Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure Stephen knew how these Jewish authorities would react because some of these men were the same ones that crucified Jesus Christ. He was accused of an offense punishable by death. The consequences could be beatings and death, who knew, who, a variety of things. He stands there at the threshold of a decision that would radically change his life. And I wondered if he paused there for a moment. Did he give it a second thought as he gave the history lesson? Did he pause? Did he stare at these Jewish leaders and think, should I take this next step? Should I take that next step that would, 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 could mean death? Or should I turn away and deny Jesus Christ? I wonder if he was shaking from anxiety and nervousness. Now, you know how when you're in an intense situation... You get nervous and your body starts to shake. When, when my adrenaline gets going, all my adrenaline goes down to my right foot, just like this, which is not good if you're in a police pursuit and you're chasing the bad guy. Somebody just got it. <laughs> I wonder how he was. Have you ever been in an intense situation where you, you're, you're, people are looking at you and, and you're making a decision and you're, how your body reacts? I've, I've been with this church for now about 14 years, and I've done about 57 weddings. And let me tell you, I've seen some groomsmen that were sweating bullets as we get ready to walk out that door. In fact, uh, there was a, a one gentleman that was in his back area, and he was looking at the windows. I thought, are you looking to escape, or what are you planning? You know, we've talked about this, right? <laughs> I remember one wedding in particular. The, the, the brides and, and, and the groom, they were, they, they were so nervous because they are going to be in front of so many people. And um, here's what happened. The, uh, the, the wedding planner had coordinated this wedding and done so many amazing things. They had a horse and buggy and, and all these different things that were going to be working with the bride and the groom. And, and, and as, I, as we were waiting up at the, uh, um, the pulpit area uh, out in the field where it was set up, the horse and buggy was scheduled to start when this one song sang, started, which was about a six-minute song, and the horse and buggy was going to bring the bride across the field. And as they, as they, they started... They had planted for the horse to just trot like this, really nice and elegant. And well, this chore, this uh, um, horse had just uh, had a cup of coffee or something, and and this horse took off like this within 30 seconds. So we had five minutes of song just standing up there, and it was like, Pastor, did you forget what to say? You know, I'm like waiting for the song. So so that was the first thing. And then as the the wedding ceremony starts, they're still really nervous up there. As the wedding ceremony starts, the flower girl and the ring bearer, they get into a fight. Um, so, so now the wedding planner, she's, she's a mess. She's back there shaking. The, the horse and buggy went too fast. The, the, she's up there dragging the, uh, the flower girl and the, and the, uh, um, uh, the ring bearer out, out of the wedding. They're just like, guys, quit it, you know, yelling at them. So then 
You think, and I'm not making this up, you think this, that's enough for a wedding, unusual things. We're out in the field, and guess what happens? A medevac helicopter has to land in that area because some emergency that was going on. So they couldn't hear me. The medevac helicopters land, so we pause. You think that's enough. Then what the helicopter does is scares some dogs. And some dogs come running up into this, to the uh, area where we were all standing. And now the wedding planner is dealing with helicopters and buggies and kids fighting and dogs going around everywhere. But guess what? Amidst all that, the bride and the groom were so much in love with each other that none of that mattered. Now for the wedding planner, she was a mess. She was shaking. She was a mess. But they were so committed to each other and so in love with each other, that's where their focus was at. So everything else that was going on around the world didn't matter. Imagine if we had a relationship like that with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That no matter what is going on around us, our commitment, our focus to Him allows us to be calm, allows us to, to have that, that peace that surpasses understanding. I believe that's kind of where Stephen was as he was standing here facing these Jewish authorities. I believe he had a peace that surpasses understanding. You know, he was in a situation we call in law enforcement fight or flight. Did he fight or would he run? He chose to stay. You know, and I don't know how he was physically. I don't know if he paused or hesitated for a moment. But when you look at the scripture, I think you see a clue here. Because Stephen is described as a man full of faith and power in chapter 6. And he speaks with passion and he speaks with authority. And up to this point, he's been bold in speaking the truth. So as he's standing there before this man, I believe he didn't hesitate at all. I believe he knew exactly what he was going to say. And I believe when it came to declaring the name of Jesus Christ, declaring his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I don't think he paused for a second. Because there's one thing for sure is regardless of the consequences, regardless of how he would be judged or what people would think of him or even physical injury or death, his love and his faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave him the strength in the midst of certain death to look at these men and say, you bunch of hypocrites. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he did, regardless of what the consequences might be. And so it says this in verse 54 and 56. It says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's standing there. He's got this peace that surpasses understanding. And these men are getting angry. They're grinding their teeth. They're so mad with anger. Have you ever been mad like that before? Your your muscles tense up. You bite down so hard on your teeth. That's how these men were. Every word that Stephen was saying, they were considering to be an insult or a blasphemy towards God. And Stephen continued on, strong in his faith, strong in his faith with Jesus Christ. And he said exactly what they needed to hear. Staring into the heavens, he found strength in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And here's what it says in verse 57. It says, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. I mean, that's the most childish, covering your ears, la, 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 I can't hear you, and they run at him. Because they did not want to hear what he was saying. These things were so offensive to these Jewish leaders that they covered their ears so they couldn't hear. And you know, it's interesting And that's what I loved about our song this morning. It's interesting that in our culture, you can mention all other religious people in the world, religious leaders. Uh, uh, You could talk about the Islamic faith or you could talk about uh, Hinduism, things like that. People don't generally get upset. But I've never seen a lawsuit in those areas. But you mentioned the name of Jesus Christ. 
what happens? People either embrace it or they get fired up. You can't say Jesus. Something happens. It stirs the heart. It stirs your mind and soul. Think about it. What other name has that power? None. Even governments tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. Unlike any other name, there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is love in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Why can one name have so much impact more than any other names? Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why. And that's the truth. There is no other. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the only way to eternal life. He is real. He's the real thing. He's living. That's why no other name can stir the heart like Jesus Christ can. And now Stephen is standing before these men who would want to take his life, and he refuses to deny Jesus. All he had to do was to deny him, and he would live. But he didn't. He was committed to our Lord. And so in verse 58 it says, And they cast him outside the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They were so angry. So upset, they didn't even finish the trial. They stopped everything right there, and they ran after Stephen. They skipped the normal processes and brought him outside the city. They were cut to the heart. The truth was too much for them to bear. They wanted it to stop. They did not want to hear him utter another word. Part of me wonders if they couldn't bear to see the face of their own sin, or they desperately wanted to hide from what they had become. I don't know exactly, but they did not want Stephen to speak another word. So they take him out and they begin to stow him to the point of death. Now you'll notice it says that they took their outer garments and they laid them at the feet of Saul. Saul would be the person later that we would know as the Apostle Paul. And so Saul is witnessing Stephen being stoned to death. And this would be something that would trouble him later on as he committed his life to our Lord. But I also believe it would serve as a powerful reminder for the Apostle Paul of the faith that one would have in Jesus Christ amidst those kinds of circumstances. Because you know Paul was stoned, beaten, battered, and bruised, and he was shipwrecked and lost at sea. He experienced a lot of trials. But as he stood there seeing Stephen being stoned to, to death, he began, I believe, to understand a little bit more, hopefully of what it meant to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, being stoned is a very painful way to die. It's not immediate. It's not an exact science. It could take hours. And some Roman historical records that even documented that said it would not be uncommon for those that were throwing the stones to get tired. And somebody else would have to relieve them. And they had a system to go back and forth. Very painful way to die. But Stephen is slowly being stoned to death, a slow, agonizing death, and he continues to cry out to the Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he keeps his eyes on Jesus, seeking him above all things, looking for him for strength and guidance. And even at the point of death, when he was being stoned, he still could have maybe said, I don't believe, give me some mercy. But he didn't. He stayed true to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that last moment, in verse 60, it says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, the Bible says. You see, he kneels down. I don't know if it was in prayer or maybe his legs couldn't hold out anymore. But he kneels down and he says something. He doesn't curse the men that are beating him to death. He doesn't threaten these men. He doesn't curse Saul for standing by and doing absolutely nothing to help him. He doesn't lash out to fight or to retaliate. Instead, he kneels down on the ground and he says, Lord... Do not charge them for this sin. 
His last words were, forgive them. That's a godly comment. We know Jesus' last words on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now at this point, Stephen is emulating his Savior. Stephen committed his life to Jesus Christ even when it cost him his life. And Stephen sacrificed His sacrifice illustrated his full commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It illustrated an unwavering faith that defined his love for our Lord and Savior. So I asked myself this question. Do we demonstrate this kind of commitment, this kind of love, this kind of faith in our lives? Are we willing to give all for our Lord and Savior? Are we willing to sacrifice everything if need be? Do we have the kind of love that is stronger than money or possessions or material things or even family? Think of it this way. Jesus Christ demands a radical love. A love that makes him a priority over everything in your life. There's a man named John Caldwell who wrote a book called The Radical Church. And it spoke about this. And it really spoke to me as I heard him lecturing one day. So after he spoke, I went up to him and I said, I need to tell you something. Your book really spoke to me. Because I needed to understand a little bit more about Jesus Christ being a priority in my life and being radical. And I went like this and I gave him a hug and he went like this. Oh, you're a hugger? (laughs) I said, well, you're a pastor, right? You hug everybody. Matthew chapter 10 says this. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. Luke chapter 14 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You see, for me, my family is the most important love I have in my life, other than Jesus Christ. But I realize that in my love for Jesus Christ, the deeper I can learn to love, because Jesus Christ teaches me how to love and how to love my family even better. But what we see in this verse here is Jesus challenges us to directly examine ourselves and to look at our priorities and ask ourselves, is he our greatest love? Or does he second play second fiddle to everything else? Unfortunately, for some of us, we will put other things as priorities in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We might love him, but as long as we have plenty to eat or the air conditioner is working or maybe we have a nice car or a nice house or our finances is good, we're healthy. We're, yeah, we're fine loving Jesus Christ when it's easy. But when things get hard, do we get mad at him? Do we turn away from him? Would you be able to give up your food? Could you go without power and air conditioning? A nice home or car? Could you give up a steady income? Could you, could you give up an addiction? Could you walk away from alcohol or drugs? Could, could you give up those things that you consider important or priorities in your life for Jesus Christ? Could you put him above all things? Jesus said that in order to follow him, we must place our devotion, our love for him so far ahead of every earthly tie that in comparison, it is as though we hate our father and mother and, and brothers and sisters, even our own life. And I think Jesus used this example because he wanted us to understand that by following him, you must be fully committed. You know how you can tell if Jesus Christ is a priority in your life? How do you react when things get tough or when things get hard? How do you respond? Do you keep your focus on him or do you turn away from him? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 says this, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, 
to know the love of Jesus Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, in this scripture, the Apostle Paul prays that we, and I pray this for our church, might be able to comprehend just a fraction of what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, because here's what happens. Because if we understand just a portion of God's love for us, we better understand the relationship that we need to have with Him, the relationship that He desires for us to have with Him. You see, there is joy, there is happiness in a relationship with Jesus Christ if it's done willingly. But there still will be struggles and trials and tribulations. Jesus Christ loves us, but He is not forced to love us. Think about it this way. When somebody does something good for you, do you feel more loved if they are doing it because they have to or because they are glad to? I remember thinking early in my my walk in ministry, God, can you just make me love you? Can you make me like a robot, God? Program me to make me love you, not to have any doubts. Can Can you make me that way, Lord? And the more I thought about it was, if he made me that way, then, then how would he know that that love is true if I don't choose it freely and willingly? You know, Billy Graham, early on in his ministry, came to a point in his life when he was struggling with his faith. It was during World War II, and he was seeing all the atrocities going on. He, and he questioned, how could these happen? How could these happen with a loving God? And, and one of his best friends who was in ministry was turning away, and, and, and he said, you know, I need to have faith. And, and he struggled with that. And so what he did... He went out one night, and his biography explains it this way. He went out the back of his house, and he set his Bible on a, on a trunk. And it was a full moon. And he looked at the Bible, and he fell on his knees and said, God, there are many things in this world I do not understand. There are many things that you are doing that I don't understand. But, God, I take it on faith that you are real, you are living, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the only way to eternal life, and I commit my life to you this day. He began to go out and and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that God used him in a mighty way. When our love is free, when our love is is put together willingly towards God, then we demonstrate the sincerity of our love for him. When bad things happen, do we shake our fist at God and say, God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? Or do you embrace him even more? Do we love him only in the good times and not the bad times? Do we only pray to him in the, in the, when the things are bad and not when things are good? Think about prayer this way. I love my boys. I love hearing their voice. I love to talk to them all the time. God is the same way. He wants to hear us communicate with him. He loves us that much. Don't just come to hear in, pr- in prayer when it's at dinner time or in the, in, and maybe at church. Pray to God all the time. Communicate with him. It's a wonderful opportunity we have to speak with the creator of the universe. You see, God wants us to love him, not just his blessings in our life. So when things don't work out, when, when, when bad things are happening, ask yourself, how do I feel about God? Think about this. Crowds would literally follow Jesus for looking for a blessing or a miracle healing. healing. And you could say at times Jesus had the biggest church in the land with literally thousands of people following him. Yet when those people were called to sacrifice, to have faith, or when things got hard or the blessings just weren't there or they were running out, they left him. The entire city of Jesus welcomed him and is the coming king shouting, Hosanna, 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 glory to God in the highest. And just a few days later they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I would dare to say that we would all rather have someone love us willingly 
instead of being forced to love us. Because if it's forced, is that love? When you, when you love when you love our Lord the way that He desires us to love Him, think of it this way. It's not going to make sense to the world because it is a love that does not expect anything in return. It's a sacrificial love. I remember the scripture in the book of Luke, chapter 21, where Jesus is watching people coming in and out of the temple. And he sees the, the, the rich man giving the offering, and then he sees uh, the different people and how they react. And he's just observing and uh, and, you know, the rich folks are putting money in the offering in, and, and people are saying, oh, that's a lot of money. And, uh, and then here comes this widow. She puts in two mites, which is less than a cent. She drops that in there, and Jesus looks at that, and he says, I want you to say she gave more than the, than the rich man. It doesn't make sense to the world, does it? Because the world will say, well, it, technically it's, it's more this way than that way. But Jesus had to point out it's not about the quantity. It's about the heart. He said, you see, Jesus saw her and saw that she gave more because she had committed more. He, he didn't find value in the, the, the amount of that money. He found value in her heart and in the commitment she had to him, commitment she had to God because she gave all. You see, the more willing and free your love is for others, especially if it's costly, the more amazing it is, the deeper it is. And so it was with Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ, we see the depth of Jesus' love and the freedom of it, the willingness of it the eagerness of it, and the gladness of it. So to answer that question this morning, what does a Christian look like? I would say this. A Christian looks like someone who has the reflection of Jesus Christ's love in their life and their freedom to love him and their willingness and their eagerness and their gladness to love him. And a Christian is someone who makes Jesus Christ the number one priority in their lives. So you see, when Jesus Christ went to the cross for us, he was not forced into doing what he was not willing and eager to do. He did not enjoy the suffering, but he did so because he loved us that much. He wanted us to show us his love through his sacrifice on the cross. And today, you'll have an opportunity to respond to that sacrifice here in just a moment. And we're also going to have our Lord's Supper today as we conclude our services here. And one thing that I want you to remember as we enter into this time of reflection and remembrance as well that when Jesus Christ sat down with his disciples, he said one thing that resonates in my mind. He said, it is with a fervent desire, I have desired to share this meal with you. Not because of the suffering that was going to happen, but because he loved us so much and he knew what the cross represented. 